Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I can't wait to get home and dig into my turkey dinner, so we're going to modify the question this morning. Instead of saying, are you ready to study God's Word today, we're going to say, are you ready to dig in to God's Word today, like a turkey dinner? Are you ready to dig into God's Word today? Well, we've got a great passage to dig into in our theme of rescue. We've been talking about rescue, that God has a desire to bring rescue into your life. But today, I'd like to give you some of the how-to of rescue. How does it actually happen today in your life? And I hope at the end of this service that many of you will find rescue. So we're going to dig into Psalm 18. This psalm is a very important one because it occurs another time in the Bible, in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 22. And it is a summation of David's life experience with God. Now David, we remember uh, David and Goliath, we remember David and Bathsheba, we can't remember anything in between. This covers the part in between. It covers the time when David uh, was really at the peak of his spiritual power and passion for God. So I love what we get out of this one. It was a time when he was being hunted by Saul, he had enemies all around, but he praised the Lord. And we heard that as love read the first bit of Psalm 18. So let's pick it up at verse four. As David gets into the particulars of what rescue looks like. The ropes of death entangled me, floods of destruction swept over me, The grave wrapped its ropes around me, and death laid a trap in my path. I want to give a shout out to so many members of our congregation that are right now in the Bahamas serving, are on their way back or their way to, and there's more to come. Mark Day is getting back, I think, this morning. My wife is is down there now. My wife in a tent. This is amazing. Uh, Living uh, in desperate circumstances. I'm so impressed. Dorothy, Alan, and many others that are going. Isn't it cool to be part of a church that's filled with rescue heroes? One of the stories that's come out of the Bahamas, though, is, 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 is one that grabs me. Because when Hurricane Dorian came in, it uh, put such a large storm surge in front of it that the, that the water level rose as high as 24 feet higher than normal. And that's a pretty flat bunch of islands. So this people tell about how the one-story houses, especially near the water, were completely submerged. How people that tried to take refuge on the roof of those houses were blown off in 300 kilometer an hour winds. And so many people that had a second story on their house first retreated into the second story as the water came up and it came up through that ceiling. And then they went up into their attic And they sat there in the attic with the wind beating outside, knowing there's no refuge there, and the water coming up below through the second ceiling. Surely the floods of destruction swept over me. Death has laid a trap in my path. Thank God so many people did survive that and that we can help today. But have you ever felt like this? Are you feeling that way today? The flood of financial ruin threatens to drown you. Maybe you're trapped by your choices. A life that was once endless possibilities is starting to narrow in on you. Maybe feelings of inadequacy and despair wrap around you like ropes and threaten to drag you under. Maybe sickness 
or disability or even your own mortality is staring you in the face. Well, that's where David was. He was on the run from King Saul for 12 years. The man hated him for no reason. David's own wife had disowned him. Everywhere David went, he was menaced by other enemies of Israel, the Philistines and other ones. And so he was fleeing Saul's troops, moving from one cave to another, from one rocky outpost to the next lonely bit of wilderness. Death was stalking him down every path that he fled. Long gone were his teenage glory days, when he was the champion over Goliath, when people said, David is the best. Instead, he was now running with a band of outcasts. And God's promise to David that he would one day make him king of Israel seemed like a blurry picture from his childhood that was being torn to shreds by the reality of his adult life. And church, I want to tell you here, no matter how closely you follow God in this life, you are going to have some serious, serious ups and downs. And sometimes those downs can be so low and go on for so long that you can almost begin to lose hope. So in David's years of prolonged darkness, what did he do? Verse 6, But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. This is what we normally do in our darkest moments. We cry out to God. But let me ask you an honest question this morning. Have you ever cried out to God for rescue and nothing happened? If so, you can almost feel jealous as we continue in this psalm because David describes in amazing terms how God had rescued him. He, he uses poetic imagery in verses 7 through 12 to describe God's glorious majesty and power coming from heaven to earth to intervene. It would make a great scene in an Avengers movie. It's so amazing. So let's pick it up in verse 13. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid hail and burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed and they were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and he rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. There are times in our lives where things are too strong for us. I'll never forget the first time my back tore apart and I was suddenly on the ground, helpless. One moment, great. Next moment, can't move. Just like that. Perhaps you can think of a time uh, if you were robbed sometime, one time, one moment you had something, the next moment it was gone. You didn't see it coming. Maybe a friend blindsided you and betrayed you. Maybe you'll, you think of the time when you were just driving down the road and then, bam, there was that accident and everything in your life was changed and turned upside down. In those times when things are too strong for us, we do need God to rescue us, sometimes even from ourselves. It's great to take Psalm 18 and what David's talking about, and, and, and line it up with some of the amazing events in his life that are recorded in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. One that comes to mind is when David was on the run with his band of 400 fugitives. 
They spent a season in a remote area where there was a vast herd of sheep and goats, thousands of them, owned by a rich man named Nabal. And in that remote area, prone to thievery and animals that would come, predators that would take the flock, David's men surrounded that flock and allowed it to prosper for a season. So at the end of the season, David, who is in need, sends word to Nabal and said, could you spare a little food? Look how we benefited you. And Nabal, whose, whose name actually means fool, responded and said, who are you, David? I'm giving you nothing. Get out of here. And you know, have you ever been treated like trash over and over and over again in your life? Well, David had been. And at this one moment, he said, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm striking back. And he strapped on his sword and said, man, we're going to go take what we earned, and I'm going to kill that Nabal. He was passionately hot with rage. And as he went along that, towards that deed he was going to do, God caused the wife of Nabal, Abigail, to come and meet him on the road. And she reminded him of who he was. She gave him gifts of food and said, thank you for helping us out. And this is what she said in 1 Samuel 25, when the Lord has done all he promised and has made you, David, leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Don't do this to yourself, David. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And so David came to his senses and he relented. And after that, God intervened. Nabal actually died a few days afterwards, leaving behind one very wise, wealthy, and available widow named Abigail, whom David promptly married. You see, guys, we are kind of silly human beings. We're totally vulnerable. At any moment, life can pull the rug out from underneath our feet, and we're flat on our backs. And at any moment, we're one word, one action, impetuous action, away from causing our own catastrophes. And we need to thank God this morning that he is our rescuer. But I have not quite answered our question yet. The question was, what about when we cry out to God for rescue and nothing happens? You're not going to like what David says was his answer. It's in verse 20. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. Is David saying to you this morning that the reason you haven't been rescued is because you're not good enough? If he is, you're probably ticked off. First reason you're saying, who is David to say he's blameless before God? He just about killed that naval guy. I'm better than that. And the second thing is, you're saying, I thought God loves everyone regardless of how relatively good or bad they are. He's not just picking a few favorites that he answers while he ignores the rest, is he? But let me explain what the word blameless means. In the very next Psalm, Psalm 19, David uses it again, and we can see exactly what he means by that word. It is translated innocent in this passage we're going to look at. He says, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. A blameless person is not a perfect person. Only Jesus is perfect. They are people that have blind spots that erupt into stupidity at, at, at any moment. People like you and me. And, and so we come to God and we say, please forgive us and cleanse us from these hidden things. 
these unintentional sins. But then he gets into a second category of sin. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Do you know what a willful sin is? It's the sin that you say, I'm gonna hold on to that one, God, and you can't have it. And you know what happens? It starts holding on to you, taking control of you. He says, if I don't have that kind of sin in my life, then I will be innocent or blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Are you blameless before God this morning? You know, when I read David's Psalms and his life, there is a passion for God that reverberates out of every Psalm. He says, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. And and that's the kind of blameless heart that the Lord's looking for from you today. But instead, you know what we normally do? We normally make God an accessory in our lives. One component among many that are important to us. That's so often the problem with our prayers. We ask God to do something in our lives rather than giving him our lives. For example, you might have a foot that's hurt. You can barely walk. And so you come up and you receive prayer at the front afterwards or for some friends or just privately with God. He heals your foot and then we get right back to walking on our own selfish path instead of following God on his path. Or maybe we're in a painful relationship and we cry out to God to rescue us and he does. And then before you know it, we plunge right back into another wrong relationship. Again, moving in with someone we're not married to, having sex with someone we're not married to. Didn't do anything, did it, when he rescued you from that? Friends, sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer for rescue from a situation because what you actually need is rescue from a life without him at the center. Let's say it one more time. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayer for rescue from a situation because what you actually need is rescue from a life without God at the center. We need to dig deep in times of desperation. We have to ask ourselves, have we been relying on God or relying on ourselves? Have we sidelined him? Have we been purposely and consistently violating any of his commandments? And have we been so busy with our own lives that we don't have space to serve God? Because the fact is, guys, God wants to rescue all of who we are, not just the part that's hurting right now. God doesn't want to do a thing for your life. He wants to give you everything. You know what happens if you make God everything? You get everything God has for you. And that is far, far better than the holdouts that we have that we're holding back from God. But I still really haven't completely answered that question. Why, what happens? Why hasn't God responded when you need rescue? Nothing happens. So David tells us a little bit more. In verse 29, he says, in your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale a wall. Now, David was a warrior. It was a very, very different time and place. 
The Jewish people were oppressed. There were enemies to the left, the right, the top, the bottom, all over the place. And we don't want to glorify war this morning, but the reality was that David was a warrior and his job was to fight in that situation. And to do that, David operated in a rhythm of rescue. And here's how it went. Pray, listen, do, praise, and repeat. Can you guys do this with me? It's not so hard. Okay, pray, listen, do, praise, and repeat. Because we're praying to God for answers and for strength, or sorry, we're praying for answers and strength. We're listening to see what his guidance is. Then we're doing with the strength he's provided, and then we're praising him for the strength he's given and the way he's intervening. So, so let's get into a little passage here and you can see exactly how it works. It's in 1 Samuel 23. We've got the verses up here. But David and his men are out trying to stay away from Saul in a remote area and they come up, up to the village of Keilah where they see that the Philistines are raiding the village and stealing the food that they need to survive on. So David asked the Lord, should I go up and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid even here in Judah, we certainly don't want to add another fight with the Philistine army into our lives. So David asked the Lord again. And again the Lord replied, go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Keilah. They slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. Now, I remember I said it's a rhythm. Well, you got to stay in the rhythm because Saul didn't miss a beat. As soon as that battle, word of that battle reached him, he said, good, I know where David is. He takes his whole army and goes pursuing David. So now David stayed in the strongholds, verse 14, of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day but God didn't let Saul find him. Praise God. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. Sometimes the strength comes through a brother, doesn't it? Again though, David's location is portrayed by local people to Saul. And Saul moves even faster this time. Look at verse 26. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of a mountain, playing hide and go seek in close quarters. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Ever since that time, the place where David was camped has been called the Rock of Escape. See how the two kinds of rescue work together in this story? In the first instance, God strengthened David and his men to fight. And in the second instance, when Saul's whole army came out and it was really too strong for them, then God intervened. And, and, and it all happened in that cycle of pray, listen, do, and praise. That's how God's rescues work. Sometimes there's divine intervention, and sometimes there's divine strengthening. 
And most times, both are happening together. Another time, David and his men were out and they came back to their home base, a town that they had established, and the town was burned to the ground. Their wives had been taken, their children, the livestock they needed to live and, and, and eat from, everything was gone. In, in uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 3, it says, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Now David was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And David takes off after these raiders with a strength so amazing from God that a third of his men just collapse and they can't even keep going. But David, strengthened by the Lord, keeps on going. And then the Lord intervenes and puts a person that had been discarded from that army in his path. And that person says, I've been discarded, but if you'll take me, I'll guide you to the army. And so that this person guides David and his remaining men into this army camp in the middle of the night. And everyone was drunk. And so 400 exhausted men were able to decimate an army. They got back every child, every wife, all their stuff, and all the plunder that the army had taken. Wow, how would you like your sorrow to be turned into joy this morning like these guys? And see, it's happening in that cycle of pray, listen, do, and repeat. And you know what? It's fun. Like, that's some serious adventure. That's no couch potato life. That is out there in the action making it happen. So say it with me. If you want to get into a rhythm of rescue, an adventurous life, say it with me. Pray. Pray. Listen. Do. Praise. And repeat. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. When we need rescue, it is easy to slip into a passive spirit of fearful timidity. You can become paralyzed, which you then spiritualize by saying you're waiting on the Lord. But did you know that waiting on the Lord is actually an active exercise? Even if your situation is far too strong for you, you can be praying with a spirit of power. You can actually get downright aggressive in prayer if you want when you add in fasting because it amps up the spiritual power. And most situations, guys, aren't actually too strong for us when God has strengthened us. Most of the time, we fall into one of two mistakes. On the one hand, we act independently. This is the person that just says, if there's a God up there, hey, I hope things are good, but I'm going to go at things with my own strength, my own wisdom, and my own resources. So it is an independent action. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that basically are 
inactive. They're passively dependent on God. And they just sit there and they go, dear God, please intervene. Dear God, please intervene. Dear God, please intervene. And I'm not saying that there are, aren't a few situations where that's really all you've got. But you know where the sweet spot really is? It's in the middle. It is a dependent action upon God. We are saying, by your strength, by your wisdom, and by your resources, I act. That's where the sweet spot is. I found so many people that that was the key to their spiritual breakthrough was to get in that sweet spot of dependent action. And that's what we saw last week, guys, when Pastor Joel shared about the story of Esther and of Mordecai. They were faced with a situation that was too strong for them, where the entire Jewish people, including themselves, was about to be annihilated. So they aggressively prayed and fasted for three days. Then Esther took action. She took action relying on God's strength, his wisdom, and his resources and timing. And a mighty rescue happened that the Jews still praise God for today. Now, I'm not saying that I've given you a complete answer this morning to why sometimes when we pray for rescue, nothing happens. That's a whole other sermon that has something to do with a God so amazing that he joins us in our suffering on the cross beside us and journeys with us through the suffering. But today, I do want to ask you, what are you facing? What is your crisis? Have you been taking action in your crisis by relying on your own strength, resources, and wisdom? Or maybe have you been making the opposite error of passively waiting and doing nothing? If so, I want to teach you something today. I want you to just start saying this. By your strength, I choose. Can you do that with me? By your strength, I choose. I choose to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. I choose to follow you. Let's try another one. By your strength, I do. I will go forward in life. I will do all the things that are in front of me. By your strength, I can. I mean, you're just reaching up in that sweet spot and you're saying, I need the power of God in my life. I know I can't do it on my own, but you know what? God has a role for me to play. He didn't make me a robot. He made me to be a warrior, a fighter. I'm not a victim here anymore. You know, in our society, it seems if you can't get a victim label, then you're out of luck. But that is not how the Lord designed us. You know what? We need faith like football. You know what I mean? Aggressive faith, the kind that gets pumped, that drives right through opposition towards the goal. We need some killer instinct against sin where we grab that by the throat and say, you're not ruling over me. I'm putting to death by the Spirit the misdeeds of the body, as Romans 8:13 says. Our beliefs need biceps. We need to get rid of this whiny, wishy worship and start with a winning worship that is tapping into the power of God and saying, you will make me strong. You will act in me and with me and around me as I go forward. We need some hoorah in our hallelujahs, amen? We need some hype in our hope. My weapon is a melody we've been singing in that song. 
I raise a hallelujah. And our presentation of the gospel to our world needs to go on the offense. If you're waiting for a political solution, I got news for you. Jesus Christ is the solution. We need to go on the offense. And you, you have been given a gift by God. David was raised up for that time and purpose. Esther was raised up for that time and purpose. And so are you. In your family, your community, your situation, you were raised up for a person for a purpose, and you need to take that gift of God and that calling, you need to fan it into a flame that lights up this world for Jesus. Now I wanna invite the prayer team forward this morning, and I want you to get thinking if you need prayer this morning. And I want you to think, do I need to come forward? But I want you to come forward in faith today, in great faith that God will work around you, intervening directly, but he will also enable you and strengthen you for your part to play. And this is what we see in the closing part of this psalm that we're going to look at. In Psalm 18, verse 33, David says, He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. We all know that faith moves mountains, right? But he also, faith also enables us to climb mountains. He trains my hands for battle, David said. And part of doing is preparing. Sometimes we are in a spot where we don't have many things we can actually do, but we can be training. We can be preparing our character. We can be going deeper with God. We can be getting our skills ready so that when the moment comes for action, we are more than ready. We're primed. David said, he strengthens my arms to draw a bronze bow. You know, you guys have limits. I have limits. And some of us feel like we have more limits than others. And they can be very real sometimes. But the God we serve is the one that helps you to move beyond the limits. So many of those limits are artificial. They're in your mind. There's things you can still do. God is not done with you yet. And he's going to strengthen you. What does the Bible say? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And David in verse 35 says, you have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. All the credit goes to God. It's all from him, my friends. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. We can't be sitting and waiting for God to make a way. God makes a way as you walk, as you step out in the general direction you think things need to go. Then God comes along and smooths the path for you and enables you. And David says in verse 37, I chased my enemies and destroyed them. I did not stop until they were conquered. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. Amen? So we're gonna end in worship and a time of response. We're gonna end with the very first verse of this psalm. And David just says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. Come and get some this morning, I encourage you.